You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. That song, and I'm thankful for God's grace. And I mean, it really is incredible to think that when I know the kind of sinner that I am, that God, that God can cover it. And it doesn't give me license to just live in sin, but it sure does make, make the fact that, that I'm forgiven, it sure does make life easier to live, you know? And uh, there have been plenty of times in my life where I let, um, I let sin build up, and I know that it's there and I haven't confessed it, and that's a pretty miserable place to be. Uh, but I'm sure I'm thankful that God um, shows us grace and that his grace can cover all of our sin. Um, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. We won't stand j- just yet uh, right now. Um, I want to kind of give you just a little bit of a, of a report um, from the week that I just spent. And, and this is a truth that came from that week. And, and it's, it's one that really I, I kind of... Um, I, there's a man um, this week that, that kind of presented this truth to us. And I wanted to convey it to you. Um, and so I haven't had as much time to kind of mull it over a little bit. It may not be as developed as, as some messages that I preach. But I wanted to present it to you and kind of give you an idea of the, of the kind of thing that, that I did this week because it's maybe a little bit fuzzy um, uh, what, we, what I was able to do this past week. Basically, um, my former pastor, uh, his name is Wayne Hardy. He's a pastor of Bible Baptist Church there in Stillwater. And for the last probably 10 plus years, uh, he... And a group of other pastors have taken a week together. And they go somewhere where there's hiking and they just kind of get away. And, and then they read some books together and then they talk about books. And then they just kind of talk about the kind of things that pastors need to talk about sometimes. In a setting that's different than a preacher's meeting. If, and, and maybe this is foreign to you, some of these concepts. I, I hope that they'll make sense. But sometimes, and I'm, I'm, you know, the first four or five months of my pastorate here... Uh, I have felt this at times where uh, you, you kind of, you really kind of pour out a lot, you pour out a lot, you pour out a lot, and sometimes it's harder to take, to take it in. And, you know, you're kind of giving and giving and giving, and just the, the emotional drain, and I'm, not, and I'm not pretending at all like what I do is, is any harder or busier than what you do. It's just different. You know, you're constantly kind of giving spiritually, and it's important um, that, you know, that a church like Eastside, and you've always done this for Brother Spencer, I know that you allow him time to go and, and hear preaching and, and get away. And, and I'm, I just want to tell you thank you uh, for, for investing in that. You know, there's part of the budget that helps me to go do things like that, just to be transparent. Um, and there'd be some things I wouldn't be able to do. Um, and, uh, you know, just so you know, we didn't go to Disney World and ride a bunch of rides. So... Um, we went to a place where we can be away from it all. And honestly, um, it was one of those weeks where you kind of are free from distraction. And uh, how many of you wish you could just uh, get rid of your cell phone for a few days at a time sometimes? And honestly, I felt so free this week that I did that. I actually destroyed my cell phone. And uh, I'll talk about, I can talk, tell you about that story later. But basically, it's, it, I, on Tuesday, I slammed it in the van door and... For the rest of the week, it was, it was no longer usable. I do have an Apple Watch, but 
but it doesn't work the same. So I knew when someone texted, but if you tried to call or text and I didn't respond, it's probably because my phone is going to the iPhone graveyard. And so I haven't been able to replace it yet. So, um, but we get away from it all, we talk, and then in the afternoons we take some time to be just in God's creation. And you need that too, there's something freeing about that. And so we did some hiking and, and spent some time together and there weren't many people there probably that Eastside would be familiar with, but um, Brother Joe Dickinson was there, Brother Spencer's son-in-law, who pastors down in El Paso. So I got to spend the week with him, and that was a blessing. And uh, David Hetzer is a missionary. We just recently this summer started supporting. He preached a message back in May on compound prayer. I don't know if you remember that message. It was a great visual. He was there. There's some other, other men, that, and I was, I'm friends with just about everybody that went. And uh, so we, we went away and talked and, and just kind of fellowshiped. And, and, and I'm telling you, it was good for me. I, it was helpful for me as a pastor. And, uh, and I appreciate your willingness and the deacon's willingness um, to have the church be led to invest in those kind of things for your pastor. Uh, it really is a help, and I, and I hope that you'll continue to do that. I don't take it for granted. Um, but that this, this truth is one that came from this week. And, uh, and again, it's not as developed as most of my messages, but that may mean it might be shorter. So you might say, yeah, really, you were refreshed, and so are we, okay? So John chapter 6, and, uh, and uh, don't, don't stand. Um, I'm just going to look at a few verses here in John 6. Um, G- this is Jesus Christ uh, talk. It kind of starts, uh, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, obviously. Back up in thir- verse 34, um, God is, uh, Jesus is just talking about bread of God, which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. Look at verse 34, John 6. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. So they're thinking, when they hear the word bread, they're thinking bread, a loaf of bread, something to eat physically. And Jesus Christ is trying to get them to see clearly. He's not talking about wonder bread. Uh, he's talking about something different. Verse 35, he, he, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So do you get the idea already that he's not talking about physical things? He's not talking about bread that you eat. He's not talking about a loaf of bread that you buy at the store. He's talking about life, eternal life. Look down in verse 41, it says, he's saying this, then the Jews, in verse 41, then murmured at him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? In verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he's starting to make some real Big claims. Look down to verse 48. I am the bread of life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I, give, I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And verse 53 is when the real controversy comes. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Amen. I mean, can you imagine the confusion? 
Uh, Jesus Christ is basically, he's been making his case. He's saying, I'm not talking about bread. I'm not talking about juice. I'm, I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about something beyond what you can see with your own eyes. And, and I'm not going to spend my time necessarily trying to explain all that. Uh, it takes a bigger brain than mine to just come up with that kind of explanation. Just know that they're not understanding what he's talking about. Verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? They're literally thinking you have to eat his body, drink his blood. That's what they're thinking. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. Verse 65, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? And here's the response that I kind of focus on tonight. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. You know, there's, there are times in the New Testament where you think, and Peter doesn't have a brain in his head. And then there are times where Peter gives such profound truth that you're thinking, I wish I would have said that. And this is one of those times that Peter comes and says what everyone should have been saying. You know, Jesus has been talking about eating flesh, drinking blood. He's talking about spirit things. And, and it offends the disciples. And many of the disciples left. I'm not talking about the core 12. I'm talking about there was at this point a multitude following Jesus. There were crowds and, and crowds of people. But with this saying, they left. And so imagine them walking away as he taught one by one. You know, he, he's talking about eating um, flesh and he's talking about drinking his blood and, and they're not getting it. They're not understanding that it's a picture. And so if you can imagine, then the first person is like, well, I don't want to sit here and listen to this. So the first person gets up and kind of walks away from the crowd and maybe he grabs his wife and, and his children and, and they leave. And, and somebody else says, okay, they left, and, and I'm a little offended at this saying too, and, and I think I'm going to follow. So they get up, and they, they grab their children and family, and they walk out. And pretty soon, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just a flood, a flood of people exiting because they don't get it. They don't understand what he's talking about. They're offended, and, and, and it says in verse 66 that the disciples, uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many of these disciples that were like, yeah, we're on board with Jesus Christ, they, they never return. They're gone for good. And they're sitting there listening and struggling with what they hear, and they walk away, and, and they leave and never come back. And Jesus turns to the twelve, and he, he asks them, he says, are you leaving too? In verse 67, will ye also go away? And they had heard the same teachings. And, and don't you imagine that those 12 were probably just as confused? I mean, I am imagining that if, if everyone else was, was confused about it, the disciples probably were too. 
Peter and James and John and those 12, they probably didn't understand it all. They, I mean, I know they did, their minds weren't wrapped around it. We know that when, even when Jesus Christ was arrested and taken to be crucified, that is, I mean, it was still kind of perplexing to them. Like, what's happening? It's almost like they still didn't really understand. Jesus Christ was talking about his death and, and his resurrection and later, and they still don't get it. So it's not like they understand it all. Okay, I, I think it's good for us to know it's not like those 12 were the only ones that got it. They, were, they, they also did not understand they were also a little confused based on the fact that they're still confused later. They had all made this initial decision to accept what he said. Um, they're all called disciples, but they, but they don't all, the ones that stay don't all understand. And Peter has this very wise response. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, what, what a great, what a great revelation. What a great question I wonder if Peter tried to imagine just moments earlier, uh, where are they, where, where's he going? What are, what are they doing? Maybe he's looking around saying, oh, I wonder what, what they're doing. I mean, I wonder where they're going to go. You know, I think about that. It's not like they just left and then they wandered up into the wilderness and were never seen again. The ones that left went back to something. And I wonder if Peter's thinking, I, I wonder if I, I knew that that guy over there, he used to kind of follow the Pharisees is he going back to the Pharisees? And he looks over here, and this guy, maybe he used to follow the Sadducees, and maybe that's where this guy went. And, and then this guy over here, I mean, I know that he quit his job to come follow Jesus Christ, and now look, he go, there he goes with his family. I wonder if Peter's thinking, uh, I wonder if he's going back to his old job. You know, Peter had laid down his nets as a fisherman. I, I imagine that other people had too. They had, they had said, okay, I'm following Jesus Christ. And I think he understood the dilemma. See, Peter knew that this was not just about rejecting what Christ was teaching. Peter asked this question, but what would I go to? I mean, where would I go? Peter is seeking, or is maybe seeing where a move might would lead. He's not just thinking about saying no to this. He's, he's thinking about what am I saying yes to? And in thinking through that, he's asking, what would I leave Jesus for? Yes, this is hard. And yes, I don't even understand what he's talking about. I mean, you, I've, I've seen some looks like that in my four or five months here. I don't even know what the guy's talking about. Maybe Peter was like that. Maybe even in this story, he's like, I don't even know what he's talking about either. But that's not the, that's not the primary question. See, Peter's primary question is not, well, what are you talking about? No, Peter starts thinking, yeah, I don't know that I fully understand it, but where would I go that's better than this? Where, where could I go that's better than Jesus Christ? You know, they're leaving and, and, and they're, they're not just walking away from this, they are walking to something. They're, they're leaving one thing to embrace another. It wasn't just about what Peter saw them leaving. He had to think about what he would, what they were going to be choosing instead. He, he didn't want to leave unless he knew there was something better out there. See, there are demands right now with this belief to Peter. There are demands, but that belief, that belief will have demands. You understand that? See, sometimes we get to the point where we think, well, it's just always hard here. 
This position I've taken, it's always hard here. And we think, you know, I'm just going to apply it to, to just s- simple stuff in life. And sometimes as a Christian, as a follower of God, as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it, we look at what, we're, what we do and I say, well, I sure wish I didn't have to dress that way all the time. Ladies, uh, there's, there, and there are easier ways to dress. There are ways to fit into the culture a little bit more easily. And sometimes you're like, I don't know why I have to always dress this way. Or there are certain parts of, you know, things about entertainment out there. And I'm like, I really wish my kids could just be involved in that like everybody else. It, it sure would make life easier just to, just to go with the crowd like everybody else. You know, or, or, or I think about, you know, what they get to do on their Friday nights and and I used to be a part of that, and honestly, I had some fun doing it. I mean, it wasn't always all bad, but I, I kind of wish I could just live life freely. Being a disciple, is it true that being a disciple sometimes feels like a pretty tight box? It does to me. Amen, Brother Jed. It feels like a tight box. It, it's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to follow Jesus Christ you, you, because the life of a disciple is a life of self-denial. If there is a word that sums up the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'd probably have to say it's the word no. We have to say no to a lot of things. And they're not even always things that we understand. I'm not even really sure why I should say no to that. Um, but maybe the pastor says something or your Sunday school teacher leads you and says, I think it'd be good for you not to. Or even in your own conscience you think, well, I don't know that that's something I should be doing. And so you start to kind of whittle away things that you used to find some enjoyment in. It's not easy. But as we do that, it's good for us. Sometimes we kind of stand and stare over their fence. We say, well, look what they're going to do. Or I wish I could do that again. Or I remember having fun doing that. And and boy, the life, you know, I used to have Sundays off. I used to just Friday night, Saturday, all day Sunday. We just had the whole weekend to ourselves. I mean, I, I used to have a neighbor, and, and at, at one point they were saying that, you know, on every Sunday it's like you're always leaving on Sundays. You know, we get to just kind of be on our property and hang out, and you guys are it's like you're always going to church. So, yep, we are. And in their minds, it, I don't know that they could have at that point ever thought, okay, that's a life I would want to live, because they're thinking, well, but Sundays... I mean, I don't know how many of you, this has never been part of my adult life, but how many of you have ever been an adult and you used to have Sundays and you could just do whatever you want on Sunday? Anybody in here? Do we have any hands? Okay, we have some in here. They used to just kind of do what you wanted to on Sundays before you got, and I could see the appeal of that. I wouldn't mind another day off a week. It's enjoyable. It's relaxing. You can get a lot more done. And I mean, the people that that don't go to church, their, their lawns are mowed a lot more. You know, there's, there are things out there, but what we have to think is not just, well, what, what is the appealing part about that? See, they, there's downsides to that too. There are downsides and disadvantages to living a life apart from God. And while we see the disadvantages as being you know, a little bit restricting, what, what they're doing, the disadvantages to them are eternal disadvantages. But sometimes we get to the place where all we can think about is, wow, I wish I could just leave this. But you're going to go somewhere. You have to, you, you have to adopt something uh, to replace 
And, and here's where it kind of comes down to is that it's not that you just leave something, you embrace something else. See, many Christians, they leave at times, they're leaving Christ now, and it seems like they're leaving him in droves, and, and they're leaving him for something new and something different, and they're just like, I just don't want that anymore. Kids raised in church, they're saying, well, you know, I, I was so restrictive, and, and when I was in church, there was a bunch of hypocrites, and, and uh, you know, and I just don't want that anymore, so I'm a nun, an N-O-N-E, which means they check a nun on their religion, uh, you know, if they're taking a survey, they check nun now. It's the fastest growing segment in our society. They're leaving what they used to know and, and, and in leaving, all they're thinking is, I don't want that. But they're, don't re- they're not realizing they will have to replace it with something else. And here it is, that something else, it may end up being worse. See, a lot of times in Christianity, people that walk away from it think they're gonna go find something better. But I'm not sure that, well, I know you're not going to find anything better than Jesus Christ. See, here it is. Our decision is not actually between, and I'm going to kind of approach this maybe from um, the, the point of faith. See, our decision is not actually between Christianity and something, or being true or false. It's not, it, it, it isn't just a choice about maybe like God is real or not, which is what a lot of people are struggling with. I, I just had a meeting um, a week and a half ago with somebody, uh, a young person questioning their faith. And as we sat across the table from each other, they're, they're saying, I just don't know that I can embrace this. I'm not sure that I can them believe it. There's questions that I have. And as I sat at the table, I said, that's, that's fine, but you don't just reject God. You trade him for a different God. Hear that again. You don't just reject God. You don't just set aside belief in God. You trade him for a different God. It is a decision between maybe God is creator or science and chance and just meaninglessness, if that's a word. You don't just reject God, you embrace something else. And that's, and that's the part that I think young people and, and people that walk away from faith that they don't see. It's not a decision about maybe whether or not the Bible's true. It's a decision between the Bible's explanations or your friend's explanation. Because you're gonna, you're, somebody's going to explain it for you. It's not just a decision between the Bible's explanation. Uh, um, it's, or it's, not just, it's a decision between the Bible's explanation and maybe some scientist's explanation or, or, some, or some employer or some friend or some neighbor. You're going to replace what you believe with, with something else. I mean, that's the thing I mean, even about atheism. Uh, people that walk away from God, they don't just reject God. They embrace a different God. See, you don't reject God, you trade him. You trade him for something else. You don't just reject the Bible, you trade it for another source. You don't just reject Christianity, you trade it for another belief system. For some people, it's materialism, and and they, they live their life now structured around stuff. And I've seen that happen before, where a, a, some person, a, a man maybe gets a better job, and, and rather than staying as committed to the Lord and committed to church, 
uh, like he used to be. Now he's making more money and it came, maybe has more demands on his time. And as he makes more money, then he starts to buy stuff that he couldn't afford before. And now suddenly, a couple of years later, this man who was very involved in church and, and right in every service and, and, and wouldn't miss and was there at every workday and a great support for the pastor. And now he, you hardly ever see him, but he's got a nicer truck and, and he's got some, a four-wheeler and some toys. I'm not saying that those things are bad. Um, they're not bad in and of themselves. But, but when a man uh, starts living for them, he replaces God with the stuff. He's traded God for something like that. So a lot of people live for materialism. Some people trade God for secularism, which is maybe a man-centered approach to religion. And it's not about a God, it's about ourselves. That's really popular in this culture. You know, and I've said this, say this probably too much, but it seems like individualism is the highest virtue now and, and everybody wants to be an individual and you can't tell me what's wrong with my choices. I preached about that a little bit this morning. This secular mindset that puts man at the center of religion instead of God. And some, you're, if you walk away from Christ, if you walk away from God, you replace him with something. It may be materialism. It may be secularism. It may be hedonism. That's life that's kind of built around pleasure. Some people, that's how they live, right? You know, they, they don't want to come to church and, and give up their Sundays because it means they can't go to the lake like they used to. And, and I get the draw. It's fun to go to the lake. Or, or some man, uh, rather than being as committed as he can, when fall rolls around, um, then you may not see him for a few Sundays in October, November, because he's out trying to shoot something. Now, I'm not preaching against hunting. I wouldn't do that in this room. I, I would get shot. <laughs> and then I would offend every, every, just about every man in here. I'm not saying there's something wrong with hunting at all. But if we ever get to the point where we replace our relationship with God with shooting an animal, something that we just enjoy, I don't think we're seeing that clearly. You don't, just, you don't just reject God, you trade him for something else. You're not choosing, uh, you know, well, we're all believers. It's just a matter of what we choose to believe in. You say, well, I'm just not a believer. Well, yeah, you are. You're just not a believer in what the Bible says, but, but you are a believer in, some, in what somebody else says, probably. You, you have your own set of beliefs. You're not, so it's important for us to know that you're not choosing between Christianity and nothing. You're choosing between Christianity and something else. You're choosing between what God reveals in the Bible or what somebody else has revealed through their sources. It kind of reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's look over there. 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll just... Uh, was thinking, I mean, this is, these are some verses that kind of came up, this thought came up this week. As we were talking about these things, and it says in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, it's a great passage. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I love this passage. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You say, well, how did we get here from over in John 6? Well, verses 13 and 18, they kind of form this context here that people need comfort when a Christian dies. Verse 13, again, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. You ever had somebody that you love that passes away? And you were trying to find some kind of comfort in it? Well, by believing these verses, you get to comfort someone else with those words. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. But imagine a funeral, though, where they don't believe this. So imagine that. They're, they're still going to try to provide comfort, aren't they? When you go to a funeral, and you've probably been to a funeral of somebody who, who they, maybe they weren't saved, or maybe it's a different religion, and and they're trying to provide some comfort and they're just kind of grasping, trying to make sense of it. But they're going to have to find other words than this. Because this isn't what they believe in. They aren't going to just refuse to comfort. They're going to trade this comfort for something else. You see that? They're not, we're not, they're, it's not that they're just not going to comfort them. No, they're going to try to provide comfort in some other way. They've got to maybe make something up or say what they heard somebody else say. And it's, listen, they're not rejecting comfort. They're trading it for something else, something inferior. It's sorrow without hope. That's what they're trading it for. And I use that just as an example tonight to say that, yeah, we might say, well, I don't know that I want this anymore. But where you go... Are you going to find any kind of comfort when somebody you love dies? Because I, I've been to other places and I've seen other beliefs and there's not much comfort out there aside from the biblical perspective. Jesus Christ is the only comfort we have in a situation that seems desperate like that. And it's good for us to be reminded you know, we've got a young man there in Stillwater, and his name is Kalen, and um, he has, uh, it reminds me of Dahlia's story a lot. And this young man, when he, in, I think it was about three and a half, almost four years ago, he had a, uh, in his arm, his arm started getting a real big knot on the elbow. And so he went in, and they discovered that it was, that it was cancerous, and and so they, they started doing treatment. They tried all kinds of treatment, and the treatment wasn't helping it very much, so they did a bone transplant at this part of his arm. And that worked, but then the cancer uh, just a few months later showed up in his wrist. So they did a bone transplant in his wrist, and, and it came back. And so they get to the place where, um, and again, he's 16 years old. He's a young, just a young boy. So they get to the place where they say, you know, they try chemo, they, they've tried surgeries, and it just doesn't seem to be getting it. So they give him the, the option, they say, well, probably at this point, it's best just to take the arm above the elbow. 
And so at that point, you know, as parents, it's like, I don't really want him to have to live without an arm, but, but if, if it's his arm or his life. And so his parents, they took him, they took him in, and uh, we were there, you know, the day he got his, his, his arm amputated above the elbow, and um, some people are just real funny when they come out of the anesthesia. It was, it, I'll show you the video sometime. It was great. You know, it was just, it's tough to watch somebody go through that. And he's had 17 surgeries. He just had his last one. Uh, they, they went in, he's had, I think, five lung surgeries. And they went in and they removed some tumors in his lung just a couple weeks ago. And he's on my mind this week because he, is, he has for years, as a teenager, he just has always wanted to serve God. And if you met him, if you knew Kalen, you would know he's the kind of young man that I want these young men to be like. I'd love to have a bunch of those kind of guys in our youth group. He's the kind of guy I want my son to be like. He has a great spirit. He wants to serve God. He surrendered his life to God. And he go, he's going through all of this stuff. And, and as he's going through all of it, you're thinking the whole time, like, I don't understand this. It's hard to understand. It doesn't always make sense. And he always wanted to go to Heartland Baptist Bible College and serve the Lord. And, and the last year he hasn't been able to. And, and he just had surgery two weeks ago, but he had almost a miraculous recovery from his last surgery. And he goes to school to Heartland this week. You know, he's going to go with one arm. He just had surgery, but he wants to be there because he knows God wants him to be there and he wants to serve God. Just reminds me a lot of, of Dahlia's story. I'm just thankful for his spirit. But in the middle of all that, what do you say to people? I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, if it comes back and there's no more options, you know, what do you say? You, and I had many conversations with him, and, and I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I'm sitting there looking at him like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm here, I'm praying for you. What can I do for you? I don't know. Maybe a little bit like Peter, eat his flesh, drink his blood. I don't know. I don't understand. But when you get to that point that you don't understand, are you just going to say, forget this, I'm gone? Because you don't understand? Or are you going to be like Peter that says, Lord, where else could we go? Who else? Who else has a better answer than you? Because if you walk away from Jesus Christ in that moment, then you have no hope, as we read in 1 Thessalonians. So do you see how even though you don't understand what's happening and even though you can't see the end and even though there's not a really good explanation to walk away from this isn't even, it's an inferior option. I don't have to understand to know though that I have hope in Jesus Christ. Where else would we go? To reject truth from the Bible just because it's hard or just because we don't get it Think about it. You're not just rejecting truth and going to something that's good. You're rejecting truth and you're going to something inferior. It's rejecting 
are you rejecting? If you're not just rejecting, you're trading. You're giving something up for something that is probably not as good. It's the kind of message I think young people need to hear. Because young people are always about what they're against. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to have to dress like that. I don't want to have to give up my music or give up my movies or give up my lifestyle. I want to go live and sow my wild oats and I want to I want to do what the world is doing. But what you don't realize is that by giving up Jesus Christ, you're trading him for something that in the end will make you more miserable than you ever thought you were when you were living for Jesus Christ. This is applied to faith. You're not just deciding between God and something else. You're trading God for something else. Are you sure that what you have is so bad? And I could ask this of our young people. Young people, are you sure that what you have is so bad that, and, and what you go to is so good that it'd be worth it? Because there's a lot of adults in this room, young people, that would say, I traded it when I was young. I traded God for the world when I was young. And I'm telling you, the mornings after, it's not worth it. The misery that comes from trying to pursue happiness all the time, not worth it. You could ask the young, you young people, ask some of the adults around the room who've tried it before. And I guarantee they'll tell you that what you have right now isn't quite as bad as you think it is. Yeah, it's restrictive, and yeah, it's not always fun, and yeah, your friends get to do a lot more than you do. But I can promise you, the, the repercussions of walking away from God and trying to find satisfaction in the world, it's miserable. It's not worth the trade. These adults in this room, they'll tell you if they've gone down that path before. This could be applied to your faith. It could also be applied to hardships. You're not just deciding if God is involved in the trial. You're deciding what's true if he's not involved in the trial. See, did you hear that? You're not just deciding, oh, where is God in all this? No, you're, you're deciding what's true if he's not. For you to, to, re, to trade God um, in the middle of a trial is to accept whatever fate is out there if God's not part of it. What I mean is, if you have God, you have hope. But if you walk away from that and you go try to find it somewhere else, you have no hope. You have sorrow without hope. You won't just be rejecting God. You're going to be embracing the idea. And here's what it comes down to a lot of times. You'll say, well, I can figure this out on my own. I can make the best of this. I can make the most of this on my own. You ever tried to do that before? I'm telling you, when it's hard and you don't understand and it's bigger than your brain can comprehend, I'm thankful that in those moments that I have some answers outside of myself because I don't I don't make it all come together in my own mind there are things that are so hard to understand and they don't make any sense and if I didn't have God I don't know what I would believe the only reason I have any hope in those moments is because of truth from this book you need to decide what you'll be confident in You can have confidence in yourself, or are you just going to trust God? I mean, he's better than what I'd go to if I left. Where would I go, Lord? I mean, you're the ones with, you have the words of eternal life. Don't, Don't rely on understanding the circumstances. Is it true that if you try your best to understand every circumstance, 
um, you're going to be left confused a lot. Because life doesn't always make sense. But when we trust and submit to God, who has control, you know, we would say, you, you know, go ahead and you can leave, but who else offers what he offers? Who else offers eternal life? Here's what I always come back to. Who else? We're saying because he lives tonight. Who else can claim that he rose from the dead? And if there's no other reason to not, to not walk away from God, young people remember this, if there's no other reason, there's historical evidence with witnesses that our Savior rose from the dead. And, if, and we say, well, I don't know about this, or I don't know that I can trust him. If he rose from the dead, he can take care of our hardships. If he rose from the dead because he lives, if he rose from the dead, then there's no trial I face that, that, I, can't, that I can't get through. There's no trial that I face that I don't have hope in if he rose from the dead. So you're not just leaving him, you're going to something. And in the end, what you go to, it's inferior to Jesus Christ. So tonight, it's probably good for us in our trials, in our faith, when we have doubts, to like Peter, say, I don't know that I understand all of it. I don't. I don't know know that I can even talk about what it means. But like Peter, we would need to say, here's our answer when we don't understand, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. I don't know what trial you're facing and I don't know what doubts are plaguing you. But let me remind you in the middle of them, the best question to ask is not why. Because you may not ever get the answer. The best question to ask is where else could I go? Maybe, just maybe, then you'll realize that there is still hope in Jesus Christ. Because whatever you reject or trade him for is always inferior. Where would I go? Every head bowed. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. 